0: All right, guys, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Drew, I'm one of the pastors at Salt City Church. Just wanted to reiterate, we love seeing you guys when you come on Sunday morning and would love to have you guys come at 10 a.m. at graduate for our Easter service. I'm always excited to speak to you guys as college students. I was just reflecting with Drake that it's been like 20 years. Since I was a freshman in college. And so you guys look at me much differently than I look at you because I remember it like it was yesterday, which already makes me feel like an old man and makes you think of me that way. But um, anyway, it's great to be here. Um, I think one of the things that I thought of immediately when I got kind of this open ended uh, topic of talking about living the dream is I just ta- thought about. The anxiety that a lot of people are walking around with in this room. And I know a lot of you just, your living reality is that you're dealing with anxiety. And I think, at a bare minimum, you would hope that if you were living the dream, that you would have less anxiety. And so I don't want to sell you some picture that I'm going to be able to take your anxiety away in three easy steps or some cheesy thing like that. But I hope to give you some hope that in God, your anxiety can be less. And I was reminded of a story that one of my friends named Mark told me about his dad, who's an older guy who's been walking with Jesus for a long time. And he talked about how his dad was at their house and he accidentally tripped over a couple steps and he hit his head on a trailer. And he went into the doctor, and they did a CAT scan, and they found a tumor on his brain. And he was kind of in that in-between space of not knowing if the tumor was cancerous or not. It turned out to not be cancerous. But he was in that in-between space. Maybe some of you have been in the, a doctor's office with a relative, or you've been there yourself, and you know how that feels like, I don't know what's going to happen. The doctor came in to tell him the news that he had this tumor on his brain. And he just responded with, my life is hidden with God in Christ. And basically what he was saying was, yeah, oh well. My hope is not in my physical health or in anything in this world, but my hope is in God. And I think all of us, we wonder, how do you get from where I'm at right now to being the type of person who would say something like that in a moment of deep crisis. So basically, that's what we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 6. And we're just going to simply see that the good life, the life that God wants for us, that takes time to get to, is free from anxiety. And so we're going to look at three ways that you can free yourself from anxiety according to Jesus. And the first one is to look to God, not money. Look to God, not money. So we're in Matthew chapter 6. We're starting in verse 22, and we're just going to read to verse 24. So Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and money. So I don't know about you, but immediately my thought on reading that was, what do verses twenty two and twenty three have to do with verse twenty four? So it seems like Jesus is changing the subject. Like first he's talking about, your eye being the lamp of your body, and then he's talking about money. Is he talking about two different things or is he talking about one thing? Now, I think the text, even before this, gives us an indication that he's on the same subject the entire time. Because before this text, he says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he's talking about money the entire time. So why this illustration about your eye being the lamp? Of your body. Here's what I think he's saying. It doesn't matter if a room is full of light or if it's completely dark if you're blind. You're not going to be able to see anything. So he's saying your eye is the lamp of your body in the sense that it is what God has designed to receive light. And then he says, after explaining that, no one can serve two masters. And then he explains further that you cannot serve God in money. And I think what he's saying is this. He's saying that if you want to receive all that God has for you, and find your security and satisfaction in him, the only way to do that is for him to be your master. But there's a competing vision for your life at all times. In other words, money is talking to you. And here's what money is telling you all the time. I'll take care of you. I'll be your light. I'll be your security. I'll be your satisfaction. If you get the right degree, if you work hard enough at your job, and if you serve me, I will come through for you. And when I come through for you, your whole life will be filled with light. And you will be on top. And you will be a king of your own kingdom and your life will be amazing. And Jesus is saying what's actually true is that money will end up disappointing you. Now it can disappoint you in two ways. One way that it can disappoint you is if you don't have any and you're always wanting more. You're always looking at other people's Instagram pages, you're always wishing that you had that celebrity's life, you're always wishing that you had that much money and if you just had more money then you'd be happy. But here's the even crazier thing and maybe the even more disappointing reality Jesus is saying is if you are successful at making money and you have a ton of money and you can do whatever you want that it will never bring you the satisfaction that you're looking for. Because your heart was made for God to be your master, and God is the only master that can come through for you. So, money, I guess one of the questions you might be having is, is money bad then? And I don't think Jesus is saying that money is bad. I think that he's saying Money is bad if you try to meet your desires with money. Money is a good gift from God and is a good tool if it's used properly, but it's a bad tool to try to satisfy the thirst of your soul. Okay, so think about this illustration. We all believe that gasoline is a good thing, right? Our cars run on gas. But if you thought to yourself, well, gasoline is a good thing, and I'm thirsty, so I'm going to drink gasoline, that would be a bad idea, because gasoline is great for lawnmowers and cars, but it's bad for people, just word to the wise. (laughs) And Jesus is saying, similarly, money is a good thing, and it's a useful tool, but it is terrible at satisfying the human soul. And so part of the reason that we are so anxious is because we spend so much time scrolling and looking around us and thinking that money could satisfy us. And so we're anxious because even when we get a little bit more money, it doesn't satisfy. Okay, so how does that big picture kind of truth that Jesus is saying, get home to our hearts. Do you know Jesus is a really practical teacher? Here's what Jesus says is the anecdote for thinking that money is going to satisfy you. Here's what he tells you to do. Look at the birds. Jesus literally is about to tell you to be a bird watcher, okay? Look at the text with me. Verses 25 through 27. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, Okay, why are we so focused on money? Why are we so anxious? It's because most of us have our heads down. We're working so hard. Our wheels are spinning. You're trying as hard as you can in class, and when you're not in class, you're looking around you at at people in your life, and you're kind of wishing that you had their life, or you're feeling superior to them because you like your life better than theirs. But basically what you're doing is you're doing this constant comparison thing between yourself and others and trying to satisfy yourself with the things of the world. I do this all the time too. And what's happening is we're not being satisfied, and we think it's because we don't have enough gasoline in our mouth. And so we just keep pouring more and more in our mouth, and it doesn't ever quench our thirst. And so we keep going back more and more and more and more, and it never works. And Jesus is saying to us, we need to stop having our heads down on task, trying to make as much money as we can, and trying to better our lives, and we need to get our eyes off of other people, and we need to get our eyes on nature. And so I, I literally think Jesus is saying, get outside. This is great advice for us as Minnesotans, like right now, as the weather is just starting to get warmer, right? Like, like we all feel that. We need some sun on our face. We need to get outside. And Jesus is saying, I want you to go bird watching. And he's saying, listen, I want you to look at a bird. And then later on, I didn't read this part of the text. He also says when the flowers come up, he wants you to look at flowers. And he wants you to think about this reality. Those birds and those flowers didn't go to college. They didn't get a degree. They didn't work hard. They don't have any anxiety about where their next meal is going to come from or when the raindrops are going to fall to water them. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds the birds and takes care of the flowers. And they're doing great. And and then he says, and I want you to think about this. How much more does God care about you than he cares about birds and flowers? After all, you're made in God's image. The flowers and the birds are there for you. Not you for them. You know, I was um, visiting a seminary quite a while ago when I was thinking about going to to school to study theology. And I happened to be at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis. And there was a chapel happening that day. And I remember the person who was giving us a campus tour apologized because the speaker at chapel wasn't a notable person. It happened to be a professor, like of natural science and it actually became a life-changing moment for me, because this professor was talking about this text, and he opened my eyes to this reality that Jesus actually wants us to do this, look at birds and flowers, and he was talking about in his class as a Christian, he was, I think at University of Wisconsin, secular university, sorry to mention University of Wisconsin, I know that's a sore subject in places like this. But, um, but he was there, and he would have his students go out into the woods and lay on the ground and look at trees for an hour. And he said, there would be people who came out of the woods weeping Because they'd never looked at a tree before. You know, there's a difference between looking at a tree and really looking at a tree. But do you know that God has revealed himself both in the book of his word and the book of nature? And there is something powerful about observing God through what he's made. In the same way, it's powerful to observe the talent of an artist through their masterpiece. And so after hearing that professor talk about that, I believe I was like a junior in college, I started laying under trees. I still do it. Sometimes I'll just go out in the middle of a park or in my backyard. We have a trampoline in our backyard because I have five kids. Sometimes I'll just lay on the trampoline. I'll have my kids join me. Part of it's because I'm tired. My kids never get tired on the trampoline, but part of it's because I want them to learn to observe God's creation, and we just look up. And if you just look up, like, I ask my kids, like, how many branches are in this tree? And they're like, like a million bazillion. And I'm like, yes, it's exact. I counted there are a million bazillion branches in this tree. Or, or have you ever just plucked a leaf off of a tree? and just rubbed it between your fingers and felt the texture, or looked at each leaf and seen that the veins in every leaf are different, like fingerprints, and how God made each of those things. And there's something that as we do that, we are freed from the tyranny of the ordinary, from our envy and from our love of money. And our hearts just start to soar. And that's because our souls were meant to be satisfied by our creator. And we are running around trying to be satisfied in whatever way we see fit. Okay. So look to God, not to money. The practical way to do that is look at the birds. Seriously do it. Become a bird watcher. And then the third thing that we see in the text is Seek God's kingdom first. Okay, look with me at Matthew chapter 6, 33 through 34. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Okay, so instead of serving money in a head down, work hard, try, try, try sort of way, we observe the way things are in nature. We behold the birds of the air. And then after coming out of the woods, we have clarity. And here's what you learn when you're in the woods with God. Is you're wasting your life. Because most of what you care about and you're devoting your time and energy to will not last at all. It doesn't matter. Do you know what lasts forever? People. You've never met an ordinary person. Every person in every class and at every place that you've ever worked is an eternal being. And people were not made by God to be used by you to get where you're going. You're not here to network with people. You're here to win people to Jesus. You were made to glorify God in your body, to honor him, to see him in all of his beauty and splendor, and to go to your classmates and your friends and say, you will not believe what I saw in the woods. Don't say it like that. That's so creepy. You're like, are you an axe murderer? It's like, okay, why did I just say that? I don't know. But, you know what I mean. But, but you're saying, like, God is amazing and I've met with him, and I know him, and I want you to know him too. See, seeking first his kingdom, his kingdom is people transformed into his image. It's a community. It's a community of love. It has nothing to do with climbing the corporate ladder or being as successful as you possibly can be but you start to bear the likeness of Jesus when you live in his kingdom, and you start to love people. You start to see people as people who you want to see come to know Jesus. And when Jesus says here that you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, immediately when we think of righteousness in our culture, we usually think of self-righteousness, which is something that we don't want. We think of hypocrisy, people who kind of pretend to be Christians when they're in rooms like this, and then totally live a different way when they're outside of this room. But when the Bible talks about righteousness, the Bible is talking about true goodness. And a truly good person, according to the Bible, is a person who cares about the people around them. And Jesus is saying, that's what you really want. See, God made you to serve him and to love him first and to serve and to love your neighbor second. And he says, you will never be satisfied until your life is aligned with those priorities. Okay, what would be the motivation to live a life like that? You know what's surprising about what Jesus says about the motivation? He says, the reason that you would be motivated to live like that is not because of the goodness of your own heart. It's because you get rewarded if you do it. Do you see what he says in the text? And all these things will be added to you. What's he talking about? What's the all these things? All the things that you're chasing after anyway. You know what? All good leadership books talk about this that if you want to be successful in your career, serve people around you instead of using them. You see, if you want to be the most successful version of yourself, even in a worldly sense, the way of Jesus works. Jesus isn't always attractive to people, but if you live a consistent life of goodness where you're loving other people, That, generally speaking, is attractive. So the interesting thing is, the fastest way to the top is actually by seeking to serve and love other people. So you get both. Jesus is like, forget about climbing the corporate ladder. Forget about trying to be successful and make as much money as you possibly can. Seek first my kingdom, and I'll throw all that stuff that you wanted anyway on top. Everything that you ever wanted will be thrown on top. You'll be the most successful version of yourself if you seek first my kingdom. You know, I've seen examples of this in my life over time. So my oldest two kids are adopted from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And when my wife and I decided to adopt them, uh, I was making $35,000 a year, and my wife didn't have a job, And our adoption was going to cost $42,000. And we were like, let's do it. (laughs) Do you know why we said let's do it? We believe this verse. We're just like, you know what? Jesus says, Seek first my kingdom, like adopting kids. Seems like Jesus would love that. And so we're just going to do it, just going to let it rip see what happens. And so we did. And uh, do you know what happened? We're living in poverty now. No. That's, not. <laughs> That's why I came here. I'm actually seeking donations. I borrowed this sweatshirt from the salt staff. Um, no, you know what happened? So, so guys, this is, this is crazy. So we went through this adoption process. We're paying for it as we go. My wife did get a job, got provided. She was nannying, and we moved. And my wife came across this housing program that seemed to, too good to be true. We hadn't brought our kids home from the Congo yet. She finds this house in Iowa City that is part of this program where there was like some money that came in because there were there was flooding in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Anyway, there's a bunch of money left over, so they just decided to give the money as uh, down payment assistance to poor people. We were poor people, so we found this program, and this is what ended up happening. We got a house that cost $180,000, and at the closing of the house, they the government wrote us a check for $45,000. This, here you go. We thought, this is too good to be true. You know what happened? We sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things got added to us. I want that to be the story of your life. I don't want you to live always calculating what you're going to do next based on money because your security is found in money. I want you making your decisions based on what God is calling you to do because your security is found in God. Do you know that God owns everything? And so you have Nothing to be afraid of because God loves you and he's in control and he is going to take care of you. Do you know why we're anxious? Because everything that we're anxious about could happen and I'm not telling you it's not going to happen. But what I'm telling you is that God is good And he is giving you your life as a gift, and he loves you. Okay, so here's kind of the revised big idea. I said at the beginning that the good life is free from anxiety. I want to add a statement to that, and then I want to read a text to close. The good life is free from anxiety because it is a life of receiving. In other words, your life is a gift. Listen to what Jesus says in another place in Luke chapter 12, 32-37, right after this passage about money. He says this, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. This gets crazy. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. Jesus is saying, don't be afraid. God's got you taken care of. And because God's got you taken care of, you don't have to take care of yourself with money. So here is the most wise way to live. Give it all away. Give your life away. Be generous with your money. Don't hold on to it. Trust God to provide everything that you need. Why would you be insane enough to do that? And Jesus says it's because God is the ultimate giver. And then he tells us what is going to happen when Jesus comes back for the second time. Notice he refers to himself as the master. Remember that at the beginning of the first text that we read, Jesus talks about money and God being masters. And he says this, when your master comes back and you are found serving him with your life, he will have you sit down, recline at the table, and he will serve you. You know what this is talking about? Heaven. Okay, here's the mind-blowing thing about heaven. God will outserve you in heaven. You, we imagine often we will spend eternity serving God, which is partly true. But do you know that the giver gets the glory? And because the giver gets the glory, God will not let you outserve him forever. So God's plan for you is not for your life to pay him back but for him to serve you so much for eternity that you can never pay him back. That's his plan for you. The reason that you can trust God is because this life is preparation for that. Every other God of every other false religion in the world has a God who demands that you serve them or else. And our God says, I demand that I serve you forever. So God doesn't need your stuff. He wants you to be like him because he knows that the most satisfying life that you can possibly live is a life of overflowing giving, not of taking. And that's how counterintuitively you free yourself from anxiety, not by having more, but by letting go. That's living the dream. Let's pray. Jesus, um, thank you for just flipping our whole world upside down tonight with this text. It it is mind-blowing to me that I will get to heaven someday, and you will have me sit down and recline at a table, and you will serve me. What? God, you blow us away because we think exactly backwards of how ultimate reality is. Would you open our eyes? Would you allow us this week to see birds and flowers and trees and see that you've given us our life, that you're a good father, that the greatest lie in the universe is that you're holding out on us, that you're not good that you want what's bad for us? And would we receive this dream life that you want to give to us? I pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.